Few names over the past 20-plus years have been as synonymous with the National Trust for Historic Preservation as David J. Brown. David serves as the Chief Preservation Officer for the Trust and has worked with several CEOs to implement a complex, difficult, and costly mission to save America's historic places. As David approaches his departure from the Trust and begins writing his next chapter, we had a chance to sit down with this influential preservationist to talk about where he's been and where he's headed on this week's PreserveCast. From Preservation Maryland Studios in the historic podcast district of Baltimore, this is PreserveCast! Before we start this week's episode, I really want to thank you for listening, and I want to ask for your help. PreserveCast is powered by Preservation Maryland, a nonprofit organization that depends on member contributions to fund its work. This podcast receives no government support and currently has no major funder support. Its budget is entirely dependent on listener contributions. I'm hoping you'll consider making a quick gift to help support this podcast, which is bringing important preservation stories to thousands of listeners around the country. Think of us as your preservation Netflix. Any amount helps, and you can make a quick online donation by going to PreserveCast.org and clicking the Donate Now button in the upper right-hand corner. We'd greatly appreciate it. Now, let's get preserving. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast, and today we are joined by David J. Brown, who leads the National Trust for Historic Preservation Comprehensive Preservation Efforts with nearly four decades of experience in working to save historic places and build thriving, livable communities. He plays a key oversight role in the implementation of the National Trust's Preservation 10x Strategic Vision, including their National Treasure Campaign. He also guides the Trust advocacy work on behalf of the country's most important preservation laws and incentives, and oversees support for local preservation leadership, providing today's preservation community with effective, high-impact training offerings. Prior to joining the Trust, David served as the founding executive director of the Preservation Alliance of Virginia, where he worked on some of the first studies of the economic impact of preservation and as director of the Historic Stanton Foundation in Virginia. He was among the first graduates of the Historic Preservation Program at Middle Tennessee State University and has a master's in planning from the Georgia Institute of Technology. Uh, It is an absolute pleasure to have you with us here today on PreserveCast. Thanks, Nick. It's great to be with you. So you have had quite the career, um, Few names are perhaps as synonymous with the National Trust as as yours over the past several decades here, um, and you've worked with uh, several different CEOs to implement their vision as as well as yours um, for what needs to be accomplished in the preservation community. Um, I, I you know I touched a little bit in some of the bio that that you have on your website about. Um, your background and, and some of your first work, but let's go back a little bit further than historic Stanton and the, the master's degrees and really sort of your path to preservation. I'm curious, was this something that you were just uh, imbued with as a, as a child? Did you always know you were going to be a chief preservation officer? What was the path there? I've always been very interested in history. It's always been really important to me. And that goes back to my grandmother, uh, on my father's side, uh, who had a, a real love for history. And so when I would talk with her, I learned her grandfather had been in the Civil War. So she was she was not that far removed uh, from that generation. 
and it was a a quick and easy step for me to get enmeshed in history just in being around my grandmother. And she had a, a great way with words. She told me many a time to uh, make myself useful as well as ornamental. And she really thought that idle hands were the devil's workshop. So she really pushed me to, to get involved in things. And my father had heard the same stories and same words growing up. And so one of the places that he went to work early on was a place in Franklin, Tennessee, which is my parents' hometown, called the Franklin Theater. And that really has a, a real key role in my love for preservation and my path to preservation. Um, he went there. He was selling popcorn tickets, backup projectionists. You know, it was a place in the Depression where uh, people went to to dream about a better world. And uh, and I heard stories about that theater all my life. My parents dated there, and then I went there in the 60s. But it was already starting to, to deteriorate when I went there. And my uh, my father uh, really was sad about what was happening to downtown Franklin, but there were a group of people who lived in that community who really believed in the future of downtown, and they led its renaissance. It's now a great American Main Street Award winner. Some people think it's the best Main Street in America, and the Franklin Theater has a real role to play there, and it was part of the renaissance. And A couple of years before my father died, we bought a, a chair in his honor because we wanted Tom Brown's name, a name from the past, to be connected to the present and future of that theater. And he got to see the restored theater. He got to go to the marquee lighting before he passed away. And I just think it's now it's still very much relevant to that community. It's a place where uh, current music acts and current films inspire and bring together current generations just as that place did for people in the Depression and World War II. And I just, that connection to place is just very important to me. And I sort of learned that by walking the streets of Franklin and, and Murfreesboro, where I grew up. And it was, um, it, it was just something where history was all around me. And so I didn't really want to teach history, but I, I knew I wanted to do something about connecting the past to us today. And so that's, that's how I got into it. And what was your first job in the field? Well, I after uh, graduation, uh, I went to be a regional preservation planner in South Georgia. And this was back during the Carter administration. And so the region that I worked in included Plains. Um, and so it was a position where I was working on a variety of uh, projects that and programs that were set up by the National Historic Preservation Act. And I really got a lot of experience in working on things from survey to early rehabilitation tax credit work to National Register nominations to engagement with local governments. And so it was a great, it, it was a great opportunity for me to work on a range of things uh, and with a range of tools that preservationists in the 60s had established um, and that we were now in the 70s and 80s uh, using out in the field. And and really, I mean, it's sort of that, that base level, and we hear this time and again when we talk to people, that sort of that base level of understanding of tax credits and National Register nominations and 106 leads to you know, some, some of the more illustrious careers in preservation that, that we've had a, a chance to talk with. 
and and so your your path to the National Trust. I mean, you you go through historic Stanton, and then the Preservation Alliance of Virginia. Which, for people listening today who are familiar with Preservation Virginia, what was the Preservation Alliance? What was the connection there, and and what is it today? Sure, um, the the Preservation Alliance of Virginia was founded um, as a second statewide in Virginia. Uh, along with the Association for the Preservation of Virginia Antiquities. And we really were the lobbying arm. We were the advocacy arm. And we were a a collaborative of about 160 organizations um, with representing about 60,000 Virginians. And we really were, um, we were, we were founded and, and our job was to, to be the strong advocates at, especially the state government level for uh, preservation. And so we were involved in uh, work that created the Virginia Department of Historic Resources at that level. Uh, and then we, we had a very strong campaign in the early 90s to uh, pass a state historic tax credit, which uh, since 1997 has seen the rehabilitation of uh, approximately 2,500 properties and about $4.5 billion in private investment uh, in Virginia just in, on, the, on the state tax credit side. So it's, a, it's a, a, been an amazing program, and you go to communities throughout Virginia, and you can see those properties that have been rehabilitated um, as a result of the tax credit, and it's one of the, one of the nation's strongest state tax credits. So we were, we were working on that level. Uh, after I left, maybe... 10 years down the road, the two groups decided to merge, the Association for the Preservation of Virginia Antiquities and the Preservation Alliance of Virginia, and that became Preservation Virginia. So uh, the APVA had owned 20-some-odd properties, and we were the advocacy arm, and so much like the National Trust, we folded those, they folded those two together and became both a uh, an organization that owned historic properties and but also an, an organization that was a strong advocate for preservation uh, in the Commonwealth. And, and that's, the, that's the group that exists today and uh, one, of the, one of the more effective statewide, um, along with Preservation Maryland and a few others uh, around the country. Well, I appreciate that, putting us in the same, in the same lineage as, uh, as Preservation Virginia. But, but you're right, and what a proud legacy, too, with the historic tax credit. I mean, here in Maryland, we always, and I think around the nation, point to Virginia and say, couldn't we be that great um, just with the amount of money? I mean, you know, consistently investing almost $100 million a year in their historic tax credit program, just nothing short of spectacular. And interesting to hear about your, your role and involvement in that advocacy campaign. So you get to the National Trust, and what's your first job at the Trust? Well, I was recruited to the Trust by Dick Moe to be the director of our southern regional office in Charleston. And um, I, I say that I stayed in Charleston just about long enough uh, to avoid hurricane season uh, because I was there for eight months. And then, and then Dick asked me to come to Washington and be his chief of staff and then eventually the executive vice president of the trust. Uh, but I, I went down, the, the trust at that time had six or eight regional offices, and Charleston was one of the oldest. And, um, and, and so I worked there, but then quickly uh, decided that where my passion lied, and, and I think where Dick also saw that uh, he could use my my background and my skills, were working with him in the executive office uh, to uh, 
to to advance his priorities and uh, and to work across the entire organization. So I was I was Dick's uh, executive vice president, and then in 2010, when Stephanie Meeks became the CEO, she reorganized the trust, and I became the chief preservation officer, which uh, that brought me responsibility for. Uh, oversight of all the organization's preservation programs. Somebody says that chief preservation officer is the is is one of the great titles in the preservation field. It's it's not as good as keeper of the national register, but uh, I've always thought it's a it's a quite an honor at a institution like the trust, which has such a legacy and also such promise uh, to be the chief preservation officer here and to have responsibility for. Of, of all of our major program areas is is quite an honor and something which I think about every day as I do my job. Yeah, I mean, if it, if it touches a building or it involves advocacy, uh, it runs through your shop one way or another. Um, and you have a big team to, to accomplish that work, but at the end of the day, um, the buck stops there. I'm curious... You know, you've seen a lot of changes um, at the at the trust during your tenure. Anything that you think would surprise people in terms of just the what what you found when you got there versus what there what's there today? I mean, what what are some of the things that perhaps strike you? You're laughing there a little bit, but I'm curious, right? I mean, it's it, it has changed profoundly. It's it's changed profoundly. When I first came, I realized the. Uh, the computer system at the National Trust was worse than the computer system at my small statewide <laughs> nonprofit, and um, and 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 that has certainly changed. Uh, and and I think that's changed in the field in general. The the online technology um, that we see in terms of uh, both you know how we do our work, but then also how we save places, I think is has just changed dramatically. And um, I was thinking earlier today. We've been working across the country trying to save historic post offices, which as the Postal Service changes its its mission and its way it, it works, it doesn't have the same need for these landmark buildings. And so we've been working uh, for the better part of five or six years with a, a range of post offices. But what's so interesting about the online piece of that is we've now brought together those stories of of. 20 different post offices that uh, have been saved and and they have different uses, uh, different ways of saving them. And we've pulled that all together on savingplaces.org, our website, where people can look at um, the stories of these post offices. We use GIS technology to tell those stories. And they can also go there and get information about tools they can use in their own community. So we didn't try to show all the post offices that have been saved, but tried to bring together a representative sample. And that's really changed sort of how we can use technology to make the case for preservation. Right. Because when you got there, in order to do something like that, you'd have to produce a publication and mail it to everyone. And I mean, you know, I think we actually somewhere in our office here, we have a film on film, actual film, not a v, not VHS from the national trust about saving places. I mean, that, that's how it had to sure be disseminated, you, you know, I mean, that, that's exactly right. So that's really, that's a, that's a big change sort of on the, the way we do work. And I think, I think Nick, the other big change I've seen are just the range of places that are being saved now. Uh, you know, I've been in this, for four decades, and so I do go back a bit to the columned mansion type of preservation. But um, we're now 
saving places that tell the full American story at every level and really making preservation relevant. And I was thinking of the, the work that we, we are doing uh, down at the Ghost Fleet of the Potomac in Charles County, Maryland, which is a fascinating place. And, and it's it's being saved not only for the uh, the shipwrecks that are there, over 200 shipwrecks, but it's now created this this rich ecological uh, region that is worth saving. And so by partnering with those who, who care about that place and, and from an um, uh, ecological standpoint, preservationists are working hand in glove uh, with others that in the past they may not have worked with as closely. So, you know, that's just one example of where we've uh, really work to reach out to different partners and think about saving places that perhaps in the public's mind they don't immediately think of as preservation. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I guess it's been said that it's the preservationist's job to figure out what the landmarks of 30 years are you know, and, and we have to and figure out how to save them now because there, there may eventually be public consensus around the idea of that, but, but when you're saving it, sometimes it can feel like a lonely place. And I'm sure that, you know, mid-century modern 20, 30 years ago was not something people were talking about. And now it's almost taken for granted that, yeah, we've got to save places like that. Um, but that was a difficult, difficult argument to make in 1992 or so, you know. Well, and I'll, I'll I'll push you back a decade, and you know, in, in, in the eighties, um, you know, there were people were sort of pushing back against trying to save Art Deco, right? And it wasn't until you had people like Barbara Capitman down in Miami Beach saying, "Yes, the, these Art Deco hotels are worth saving," and and really making that case in a very public way, um, that all of a sudden, you know, it it flipped in terms of the public support. And we've seen that all along. It was Victorian, you know, buildings before that. And you're right. It's now uh, it's it's been modernism, and now people see that as a um, uh, as something that's very much worthy of preservation. And so we do need to think about what's next. So let's drill down a little bit on some of these changes, though, and and also some of the things that you've seen during your tenure. Sort of rapid fire here, but. Biggest, what do you think was the biggest preservation loss during your time with, with the trust? And not just something perhaps that the trust was involved in, but just broadly speaking, anything that you can put a, point a finger on that say you really wish that had gone a different direction? Well, I, I can think of several, but um, I, I always think the loss of a National Historic Landmark is, is a very sad uh, occasion because there are not that many of them. These are places of national significance, and um, you know we should we should do everything we can to try and keep these places uh, saved, thriving, alive. And we were involved in trying to save the Chautauqua Amphitheater, uh, which is near Buffalo, which was a part of an NHL district. And this was a place where. You know, FDR, William Jennings Bryan, Susan B. Anthony, Thurgood Marshall, Ella Fitzgerald, Van Cliburn. I mean, you could just sort of go down. It's, this is like American history. These people, you know, were on the stage there at, at the at the amphitheater, and yet the institution in 2014 they said we're going to demolish the amp and we're just going to build a new one that's going to have better amenities and it's going to look like the old one. Well, it's not the same. <laughs> And uh, even though there was a, a, a really strong push to uh, to save it and a great campaign, 
ultimately the the institution decided that they were going to demolish it and they've done that and and that's just that is typical of a of a type of loss that I think when we lose something at that level of significance to the country um you know it's just it it cannot be replaced and no matter if it's a perfect replica it's still not the place where those people spoke and walked and performed and that you've got that physical connection to that so uh there you know there are others i uh, but that's that's one that just sort of strikes me as uh totally unnecessary it it could have been easily saved easily reused rehabilitated for current uses but uh it wasn't to be sometimes people have more money than sense uh, <laughs> True. Um, so, uh, biggest preservation victory. What's something that you're, I mean, perhaps even that you had a hand in that you're really proud of during your tenure with the trust? Well, you know, Nick, that's like choosing your favorite child. So, um, um, I've actually probably, I've got three or four of them, uh, which I'll do rapidly. Uh, saving the Farnsworth house, uh, you know, talking about mid-century modern, uh, you know, Mies van der Rohe's house in Plano, Illinois, was up for auction, and the the person we were bidding against was going to pick it up, put it on a flatbed trailer, and move it to Pennsylvania, totally out of its sight. Um, and so, working with Landmark Illinois, the trust uh, saved that, and I was I was involved in that a, a bit. But it's it, to me, it's just a terrific save and a, and a great uh, preservation victory. Um, there's a there's a place in in Durham, North Carolina, the the childhood home of Polly Murray. And I didn't know who Polly Murray was when we started working on this project. Uh, one of our staff people who's a uh, women's historian came to me and said, you know, this is one of the most amazing women of the 20th century. Thurgood Marshall said she wrote the Bible on civil rights law. She was a, she was a mentor uh, to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She was also, she became an Episcopal priest and has been named a saint in the Episcopal Church. Just an amazing woman who comes from this very ordinary home in Durham, North Carolina. And we worked with the Polly Murray Foundation to save this place, to bring resources to it, and now it's the Polly Murray Center for Social Justice. And so it, what it tells me is, you know, extraordinary people can come from very ordinary places, and that's part of our telling the story as as well. So that's another favorite. And then finally, sort of on the tool level, <laughs> um, I, I think the work we just did, you know, with you and lots of other partners all around the country uh, to save the historic tax credits at the federal level um, is uh, a preservation victory so that, you know, 45,000 buildings, we can have another 45,000 buildings that can be rehabilitated and that will have the financing to, to work, um, to make these projects work. And that was, um, it was not uh, a given that we were going to be able to pull that off. It was very much a last minute uh, win. And I, I related back to uh, the trust and others being involved uh, to save the west front of the Capitol when that was uh, under threat from expansion many decades ago. It's it's that important and that uh, uh, critical, and I think it's something that I find uh, very satisfying in terms of my tenure at the Trust, seeing uh, these places um, have the, the financial tools they will need to be re- rehabilitated and, and remain relevant for communities in the future. 
Yeah, I mean, when you talk about broad impact and, and broad victory, I think you'd be uh, hard stretched to find something in terms of saving that program. And and make no mistake, you know, between the work of the trust and local partners all across the country and state partners, I mean, it truly was saved because you know it was it was almost it was effectively eliminated on on, on one side of the bill um, and and brought back to life. So. Um, yeah, it it seems at like the, you just the, at the right at the stroke of midnight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you 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 cut, yeah. cut your teeth in preservation advocacy on a state tax credit and put a capstone on it with the federal. So um, right, and 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 I've um, uh, you know that's been important. I think I think one of the things that we do as a trust and as you know statewide, like Preservation Maryland, do uh, most effectively is we should be advocating for tools that local organizations, local citizens, local governments can use to save places where those buildings are located. So, you know, we're, we're working now in a number of states on, on state tax credits, but I think we're also, you know, we're, we're going to need to look more at policy issues as well uh, on the preservation front because, um, you know, the tools that we have in place were created back in the 1960s. And life has changed since then. So uh, I think the, I think one of the things that the trust does well, and will continue to do, is to is to advocate for the tools so that local organizations, local preservationists can can have those in place to save the places that matter to them. Well, it's a good lead to the next question, which is what is next for the national trust? I mean, obviously you've announced your departure, um, and you know, moving on under fantastic terms to, to the next adventure here, uh, which we're looking forward to hearing about what that might be. But but what is next for the trust? I mean, obviously, new leadership coming in, you know, if you could give them a little sage in, encouragement and advice, what would it be? Where where do you want to see the trust yourself personally in 10, 15, 20 years? Great question. And I've thought about it a great deal because since I announced I was leaving my position here at the trust, I've I've thought a lot about the legacy of the trust, but also the promise of it as an organization. And so we are, you know, we're in the search for a new president and CEO right now. So that individual uh, who is yet to be named as of today, we will, uh, you know, we'll look for that person's leadership, obviously, in terms of where the organization goes. But I expect the National Trust will adhere to its primary purposes that were in the congressional charter that's 70 years old. And there are really two of those. Saving historic places of national significance and engaging the American public in saving places. But in terms of, of I, I actually spoke to the Board of Trustees uh, in February. Uh, they asked me for some thoughts about where the, this very question. And I said, you know, one of the things that the National Trust is, has done through the years is be open to change. People think about preservation as being resistant to change as a, as a field. But in fact, the way that we save places is changing all the time. And I, I'll go back and use the Main Street program as an example. Um, you know, when Main Street was was conceived of in the late 1970s and then developed in the 80s and 90s, um, it was not only a push against the mall development of that time and the suburban development, but in some ways it was a push against traditional preservation practice. Because if you look at a place like the Franklin Theater, which I talked about earlier, uh, it's not a great piece of American architecture. It's a, you know, it's a nice Main Street theater uh, in, in a small community. And yet 
what Main Street said and what the trust said at that time was these places were worth saving and we don't have to only be saving the, the grand pieces of architecture. Um, I'm, I'm always talking about the fact that it's not the architecture that makes a building a landmark. It's the, pla- it's the place that the building uh, holds in a community's memory that makes it a landmark. And so by thinking about the, um, the way that we save places and changing, I think the trust you know, should continue to press itself and be on the vanguard of how do we, um, how do we think anew and afresh in the 21st century with the tools we have and with the challenges we have to, to save places. And I think that's, that's really, you know, one of the, one of the key issues for the trust moving forward uh, is how do we ensure that we're staying true to our mission and yet being open to new ways of, of doing business. It's a challenge. It's a challenge for a small organization, and it's a big challenge for a big organization uh, because people expect you to do all these certain things, but then they also want you to change and adapt. And you know, there's a n- nothing that you're unfamiliar with, I'm sure. It, well, it is true, and and I've had some experience uh, in in changing the way the trust does its work. And you know, in, in a way, you're sort of moving a battleship. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, just in in my division alone, the programs, you know, the preservation division. Uh, you know, there are about 225, 250 staff people. We're all over the country in 27 historic sites, and then um, you know, nine uh, field offices. And uh, so there, you know, there are a lot of moving parts, and there are lots of of things that people are doing that are very important. But if you're trying to think about, okay, how do you get this organization to focus on what its, what its key role is? What can the National Trust do that no one else can do? Uh, it, it, is, it is difficult, but I think uh, if you've got the right vision, uh, people are excited by that vision and, and, uh, and will change the way they work uh, in order to be part of something big. So uh, as, we, as we wrap to the conclusion here, um, what's next for you? I mean, everybody wants to know. I mean, do you know? Is the, should we expect a, a book? Is there a tell-all coming? What, what, what's, what's next? <laughs> well, I, I, Nick, I say I'm getting ready to have my gap year that I never had when I was young. Uh, <laughs> Are you going to backpack uh, around Europe? I'm going to backpack around Europe. Well, I've, I've, got, I've got a son who's over there, so uh, that, that may be possible. Um, I'm, I'm going to take some time off and do some reading and writing and reflecting. Uh, I have a uh, I have a personal website. It's called moretocome.net for those um, your, uh, who listen to this who'd like to go see it. And uh, I, I write a lot on there, some about preservation, some about baseball and other things, so people have to work up through that. But um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some time to think about what's next. Uh, and I had a really good piece of advice from one of our board members who was in a very high-profile job and who stepped aside for a bit, and uh, she she said, you know, taking the time off is very good, and she said, you know, keep days and weeks open on your calendar because that's when the magic happens. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be looking at um, thinking about what's possible. I could, uh, you know, I've talked about doing some writing, um, but uh, I also think that I still have some uh, some things to give the field and also to give to organizations, and so I'm going to think about how I can get. Uh, engaged in that work 
uh, in the and in the and again, if ahead. people want to follow that, it's what's next.net. It no, it's it's more to come. M o r e t o c o m e, all one word. dot net, and uh, if they want to go find it, uh, it's. Um, like I said, it's, 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 it's due for a facelift, so it's going to get that, but there's, uh, there's some writing on there that people might find of interest and I'll be doing some more on there as we move ahead. Fantastic. Well, we'll put a link in the, in the show notes for, for, for people listening. You can just click on that and, and jump right over, uh, to, to David's page. So, um, you said before that this is going to be the most difficult question, I'm sure. And you said before, oh, geez, uh, the best preservation victory, it's like choosing a favorite child. So now it really is choosing your favorite child. What is your favorite <laughs> historic site or place? <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to, uh, you, you uh, I, I knew this question might be coming. And I'm, I'm going to just, I'm going to say I love Main Street communities. I've lived in five Main Street communities. Franklin, Tennessee, Cookville, Tennessee, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, Americus, Georgia, and Stanton, Virginia. And I just love the connections that are found in, in, this, in these places, all of which have strong commercial areas, strong neighborhoods. They're walkable. And so I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit and say my favorite place is, uh, and where you can often find me is, is in the middle of a typical Main Street community, and part of the reason is because I've grown up in them and have just been so uh, affected in a positive way by them through the years. I suppose, given your track record and and all of your accomplishments, we'll let that half answer slide. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This really, I mean, in all honesty, um, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. Um, For those of us in the field who who walk in your uh, footsteps here, Um, uh, you know, we appreciate all the, all the tremendous work that you've done at the trust. And, um, it's, it's good to hear that there is more to come and we're looking forward to hearing what about what that is and, uh, and following up with you in the future. So thank you for all you've done and thanks for joining us today. Great. Thanks so much, Nick. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's show notes and all previous episodes, visit PreserveCast.org. You can also find us online at Facebook and Twitter at PreserveCast. This program was supported by the Historic Preservation Education Foundation. PreserveCast is produced by Preservation Maryland in Baltimore City. Thanks again for your support, and remember to keep preserving.